Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And a very happy Sunday to you. Welcome to the Rick Edelman Show here on KFI AM 640. Well, we might not be so happy for a lot of people around the country this weekend. We've had uh, the huge natural disaster in the uh, Florida panhandle and up into Georgia and the Carolinas again uh, in Carolinas. Boy, they just can't catch a break lately, right? Uh, with Hurricane Michael, we'll talk a little bit about that on the program. And also, boy, when it rains, it pours. Because we saw what happened in the stock market starting on Wednesday, right? The stock market, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, fell 832 points on Wednesday alone. And oh my goodness gracious, uh, a lot of folks wondering, what does this mean? What do I do? Should I get out of the market? And blah, 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 blah. All right, let me tell you what's going on here. The Dow Jones Industrial Average dropped 831 points on Wednesday and 546 on Thursday. Big news across the media, as you'd expect. Wednesday was the third largest point drop ever, and Thursday was the 17th worst point drop ever in stock market history. Now, I want to emphasize that for you. By points, but on a percentage basis, neither day... Neither? Neither? What should it be? Neither? We'll go with neither. Neither day was in the top 20 worst days of all time. Neither one was in the top 20 on a percentage basis. In other words, Wednesday and Thursday were largely irrelevant. And this was kind of proved by Friday when the Dow closed up nearly 300 points. But still, this seesaw makes a lot of people queasy. I mean, over the last three days, the decline net was about 1,000 points. Still, it's not a big deal. Why not? Well, why does it feel so bad? Why did it garner such media attention? Well, you know, a 1,000-point drop in the market, 800 alone on Wednesday. It's real simple. The bigger you get, the bigger you fall. In other words, the Dow Jones Industrial Average closed on Friday at 25,300 thereabouts. 1,000 out of 25,000 just isn't that big a deal. And that's the emphasis I'm providing you. It's not the points that matter. It's the percentage that matters. But the points are irrelevant. So we have to keep that in mind, put that into perspective. Otherwise, you could be motivated to do the wrong thing at the wrong time for the wrong reason. And here's the funny part about it. Here's what I find so hysterical about Wednesday. Up until Wednesday, everybody's been complaining that their portfolios haven't made as much money as the Dow or as much money as the S&P 500. And you know why you haven't done as well year to date in your portfolio as the S&P 500? Because your portfolio doesn't consist solely of the S&P 500. 
In other words, unless you had a 100% stock portfolio, your performance wasn't going to be as good as that. Since 1926, according to Ibbotson Associates, the average annual return of the S&P 500 and the Dow Jones Industrial Average is about 10% per year. That's assuming that you had a portfolio that consisted of nothing but that. Now, who on earth is going to put 100% of their life savings into the stock market? I wouldn't. I don't think you would either, because although the stock market has been historically the best performing asset class, we also know it's a very volatile asset class. Remember 2008? Of course you do. And that's the problem, is that we don't want to expose ourselves to the possibility of suffering massive losses in a very rapid pace. And that's why you only have part of your money in the stock market. So up until Wednesday, people have been saying how I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm annoyed that I'm not doing as well as the stock market. How come I don't have all my money in the stock market? Because the more diversified my portfolio is, the worse it's been doing relative to the stock market. Because it's been the U.S. stock market that has been outperforming everything else. Of course, that's what they were saying up until Wednesday. On Wednesday, everybody started changing their tune to, boy, am I really glad I don't have all of my money in the stock market. Boy, am I really glad I have a highly diversified portfolio. Boy, am I glad I have money in investments other than the stock market. See my point? In other words, just because a given asset class is performing well and even might be performing better than alternatives doesn't mean that you ditch the alternatives. Instead, we have to recognize that every dog has its day. At any given moment, fortunes can change, as we saw with striking evidence on Wednesday and Thursday when the Dow fell 1,300 points. This is why you don't place all of your money into stocks. And it even goes beyond that, because what Wednesday and Thursday demonstrated for us was something else that's really fascinating. You all know what's been going on with General Electric, right? We've been talking about GE for uh, a few times throughout the year because this company, which was at one point one of the biggest companies in America and one of the best performing companies in America, certainly one of the oldest companies in America, has been doing terribly over the past several years. The stock was down 40% over the past year. GE was kicked out of the Dow Jones Industrial Average earlier this year. Wow, really awful. So far this year, GE is still in the S&P 500, but its stock performance in the S&P 500 year-to-date through Tuesday ranked it the 496th best stock. Yeah, out of the 500, it came in at 496. Only four stocks were worse than GE year-to-date. But as of Wednesday, for the past week, GE's stock performance is now number one. <laughs> In other words, nobody wanted to own GE all year long because of all the terrible things that have been happening in that company. But suddenly, with the stock market dropping so much on Wednesday, compared to everything else, GE did fabulous and became the number one performing stock for the week through Tuesday of this past week. I mean, this is why you really can't 
try to decide what's going to happen next because you're probably going to blow it. In fact, it wasn't that just the GE went from among the worst to the very best for the week ending Tuesday. If you look at what's been going on in all of the deciles, the top 10% of all stocks compared to the worst 10% of all stocks, there has been a complete flip-flop. Year to date, the three best performing stocks of the S&P 500 were advanced micro devices, a biomed, and Netflix. They were the three best performing stocks of the year. But now, as of Wednesday, they fell to number 393, number 481, and number 443, respectively. They went from being the three best to, for the past week as of through Tuesday, among the very worst in the marketplace. There has been a complete flip-flop as a result of the changing of fortunes as of Wednesday. The very best performing stocks have become the very worst, and many of the very worst have become among the very best. This according to analysis published in the Wall Street Journal on Thursday. So what we have to recognize is that all of this is fleeting. The ability to make an investment decision based on how things have performed in the past well, that's just a sucker's bet. And therefore, my message to you is very simple. Number one, let's not get overly anxious and fixated on point declines in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Number two, this is an argument, a reinforcement for why you need to maintain a diversified portfolio based on your goals and objectives. And number three, to maintain your focus on those goals and objectives. If your goals and objectives have not changed, if your personal circumstances have not changed, if your attitude about risk has not changed, then there is absolutely, positively no reason for you to be making any change in your investment strategy. The fact that the stock market had a lousy day one day this past week is not in and of itself enough of a reason to make a change in the portfolio. Now, I'm not suggesting that we aren't going to see continued volatility in the market. My point is very simply, we can't draw a conclusion one way or the other, nor should we attempt to make a prediction about what's going to happen next. Instead, look at the economic fundamentals. Unemployment is at the lowest level in this country since 1969. Wage growth is at its highest level over the last 10 years. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The economy is still humming along just fine. And on that basis, the argument for staying fully invested in a diversified portfolio remains completely intact. And so if you're upset about it, if you're watching the news and worried about what you're seeing, stop watching the news. It doesn't mean you should change your investments. It means you should change the channel. That's the most effective advice. I can give you on the show today. I want you to stay with us because if you're still struggling on what you should be doing with your investments, I have the number one piece of advice, and I'm going to tell you what it is when we come back here on The Rick Edelman Show. So if you're struggling not knowing what you ought to be doing, I'm going to tell you exactly what you should do 
and you're not going to want to miss this. So stay with us for more here on The Truth About Money. Triple H Plan Rick online at ricedelman.com. The views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Do not use the show's content as the basis for any investment decisions. Instead, consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence. Calls are pre-screened and the show was pre-recorded earlier this week. Rick Edelman is an investment advisor representative of Edelman Financial Services, a registered investment advisor which furnishes this program and also a registered principal of EF Legacy Securities, and affiliated broker-dealer, member FINRA SIPC. Let's get the latest from Larry Perel in the KFI Newsroom. Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here. Thanks for hanging around with us on the show today. I told you that you really shouldn't be making any changes in your investment strategy as a result of what's been going on in the stock market this past week. But there is something that I think you do want to do. And I'm talking to you gentlemen who are listening to the program right now. You know, it's really fascinating. People are fixated on what's happened in the stock market this past week due to the volatility of the markets. What you really need to be paying attention to is what's going on in the bond market. According to the Bloomberg Barclays Multiverse Index, this is an index of all bonds all around the world, they fell in value by about a trillion dollars this past week. Ah! A trillion dollars. Why? Because the Fed is raising interest rates. As interest rates go up, the value of bonds goes down. So here's what I find rather ironic and almost comical. People who are upset about the stock market saying, oh my goodness, I'm fearful of losing money in stocks. I think I'll run to bonds for safety. Only to have their money go down in the bond market because rising rates are causing bond values to fall. So here's what you need to do. Beyond all else, gentlemen, as you're thinking of how you ought to make changes in your investment portfolio, you ready for this? Here it is. I want you to talk to your wives and girlfriends and do whatever they tell you to do. Why? Because according to research from Fidelity, women consistently earn higher returns than men in their investment portfolios, an average of almost half a point per year. Why? Because women trade less often. Women are more deliberative. They're more methodical. They are more considerate. They evaluate more carefully. They aren't quick to make a snap decision. And that translates into not jumping out of the market merely because the market went down one day. So, men, before you do something dumb... And before you have to pay for it, when you explain to your spouse or partner why you did what you did, have that conversation. Hey, honey, I'm scared. I'm thinking of getting out of the market. What do you think? And she'll tell you to go do something else for the afternoon. Okay? It's really that simple. But uh, if you really do want to know what you should be doing or want to be doing, well, here's just, you know, you're always looking for that latest and greatest investment opportunity. Well, here it is, and I think I, I'm going to say this one's targeted at women. I, that's probably a ridiculously sexist thing. All right, I'll, I'll narrow it down. This one's targeted to my wife. I'll leave it at that, okay? On Friday, a first-of-its-kind ETF has been launched. No ETF has ever been launched of this nature before, and I, it's got my wife's name all over it. It's called the U.S. Vegan Climate ETF. Well, that's great. That's just great. I mean, give me a break. Seriously, an ETF 
that is investing in companies according to guidelines consistent with veganism. Excluded are companies whose activities, quote, directly contribute to animal suffering, destruction of the natural environment, and climate change, according to the prospectus. It includes companies that engage in animal testing, animal-derived agriculture or products, the use of animals for sport or entertainment, or animal-based research and genetic engineering. It says that it will select companies based on their environmental impact as well. Companies engaged in the production and refining of fossil fuels or even the use of fossil fuels for production are excluded. So too are companies that negatively impact the environment through a high carbon footprint or habitat destruction and so on, unless the company takes steps to mitigate or address those impacts. No tobacco stocks, no defense stocks, no military stocks, no companies that contribute to human right abuses or child or forced labor, no financial firms, accounting firms, or business service providers who work with excluded companies as well. In other words, it's not going to invest in anybody anywhere because there's nothing left. Really? Seriously? The vegan eat... Okay, look, here, we, we got to, seriously, you know, investing for your life savings to provide your own retirement security is a really serious thing, and it isn't for, you know, the, I really don't think you're going to be finding very many financial advisors recommending the vegan ETF. Here's what I do want to talk about, though, mentioning financial advisors. Do you have one? I think that maybe perhaps you do. And I want to ask you the question, how old is your advisor? What is your advisor's age? And is your advisor working in a solo practice or a very small shop? In other words, does your advisor work pretty much by himself or herself or part of a larger team? Because even at the big box brokerage firms like Merrill and, and whoever else, uh, UBS and, and Wells and so on, even though they might have tens of thousands of advisors in the firm, each one of them is often working independently, alone. They got a cubicle and they're doing their thing in their cube and they're paying no regard and having little contact with the folks in the cubes surrounding them. You know, if it, nobody but that advisor you're dealing with knows anything about you or anything about your investment strategy or anything about the investments that you have in your portfolio. Only your advisor knows what you're doing and why you're doing it. There's no continuity between your advisor and other advisors. Is that the case with the advisor you work with? All right, that's bad enough. If you're working with an advisor who's all by himself or herself, with no network, no connection, no colleague with whom they share effort. That's, that's bad enough. But it gets even worse if your advisor is, say, 60 years of age. And why do I say that age? Because that's the average age of financial advisors in this country. According to a new industry survey from Practical Perspectives, more than half of the nation's advisors will be gone within 10 years. According to all the latest industry research, the average advisor is in their late 50s, early 60s. In fact, there are more financial advisors in this country who are 80 than who are 30. This is an aging industry. A lot of young folks don't want to get into the investment management business because of its negative reputation and concerns over not being able to make a whole lot of money at it. They're going into other businesses like investment banking or law or accounting where they think there's better career opportunities for them. There aren't a lot of young folks in this business, so the average advisor in this industry is older. So I want to ask you the question, as you're focusing on your retirement, have you given any thought to your advisor's retirement? Because according to some industry statistics, half of all advisors in this nation will be gone 
within 10 years. They will have quit or retired. Is that possibly your advisor? And if so, what happens to you and your account? See, even if you retire, you need to continue having your money managed, right? Well, not just through retirement, but through your entire life. If your advisor is not going to be around, who do you turn to? You want to make sure your advisor is part of a team, part of an organization that has stability, that is going to be here long term to provide the continuity and consistency of the advice and services you've grown to expect from your advisor. So one of the things we love best about our firm here at Edelman Financial, we've got 160 advisors and 43 offices nationwide. We work collectively as a team. So no one client is dependent on any one individual for the advice and services and quality that they're receiving. And that's what we would recommend for you as well. Have a conversation with your advisor about their career expectations and plans and make sure their plan is in your best interest. I'm Rick Edelman. You're listening to The Truth About Money. Triple H, Plan Rick, online at ricestellman.com. Click that red button, schedule a call, so you can tell us the day and time you want us to call you. No voicemail, no... With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply phone tag will make it simple and easy for you to get the answers and information you need for your personal finances. Let's get the latest from Larry Perel in the KFI Newsroom. We're taking telephone calls here on the Rick Edelman Show, heading out to Troy, Michigan. Paul's on the line. How you doing, Paul? Uh, my question is about the option of taking a uh, lump sum on a pension. Recently, I've been given the opportunity to take one and wanted your input on it. So uh, the question is whether you take the lump sum uh, or a series of monthly checks for as long as you live. And uh, it's it's an important question, isn't it? Because once you give them your answer, you're like stuck with it forever. <laughs> so That's it. Uh, yeah, it's like there are no redos, no do-overs, and uh, such like that. And that's why it's pretty vexing for a lot of folks. The good news is this. It is straight math. In other words, we simply want to look at how much money they're going to offer you on a monthly basis versus if we take the lump sum, pay any taxes associated with that, invest the rest, 
how much income can we reasonably expect to produce from uh, a, an investment we make with that lump sum? And is that money going to be equal to what you would have gotten from the pension? So the good news is all it requires is a bit of math. And I can tell you this, usually when we do that math for our clients, the answer is take the lump sum and invest it on your own to produce your own monthly income. Usually, not always, but usually, that is the more uh, cost-effective, the more economic, uh, the, the superior answer given the two choices. Now, I say usually, and here's one big case where it's usually not true. A uh, great illustration are federal employees. And the reason is that in some pensions, the pension amount you receive will grow over time, they will actually increase the amount of income you're receiving. Sort of like Social Security increases. This year they just announced that there will be a very small Social Security increase for folks, mostly about 30 or 40 bucks for most Social Security beneficiaries. Um, so if you have a pension where, where the monthly income you're receiving will rise annually, then uh, clearly that uh, in most cases is the better choice. But most pensions don't do that. Most pensions it's a fixed amount. Whatever they're giving you on day one is the same you're going to get 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now. And that's a big reason for choosing the lump sum over the monthly pension. Because when you take the monthly pension, there are several pieces of fine print. Number one, as I just said, that amount will not rise, which means over time, inflation will take its toll on the value of that monthly check. The, the ability to buy goods and services diminishes because those costs rise, but the check you're receiving doesn't. Second is that when you die, that pension benefit stops. Are you married, Paul? No, single. Okay, so it's not an issue for you. If you don't have a spouse or partner, you don't have to worry about that. But for people who are married, who have a partner, uh, that pension check stops when they die, and that leaves a huge crisis for their surviving spouse. Uh, so that's a consideration. Uh, that's not a problem for you, so not as big a deal. Another major one is lack of liquidity. Once you take the monthly check, that's all you ever get is a monthly check. If you ever need access to the big bucket of money, it's not available to you. Whereas if you take the lump sum now, invest it, and generate your own income, you can increase that income whenever you want to keep pace with inflation. You can reduce it. You can start it, stop it. If you need a lump sum, it's available to you. You have greater flexibility. And when you die, whatever you didn't spend stays there for your heirs. So the lump sum has greater flexibility that is often superior to taking the pension benefit. But here's one final point in favor of the pension. You don't have to worry about your own habits. In other words, some folks, if they are given a lump sum, will blow the cash. And they will discover at some point that the money was spent on vacations and on jewelry and on big screen TVs and on lottery tickets and beer and... They have nothing to show for it in 10 years, and now they're in trouble. Whereas, if they had taken the monthly check, they can be pretty confident that they will get another monthly check next month, like Social Security checks. And so they can protect themselves from their own uh, tendencies, if you get my meaning. So you have to know yourself. Right. You have to know, can you be trusted to receive this lump sum, manage it prudently, properly, for your own personal benefit, or will you be your own worst enemy? And you would say the best thing to do is put it in the IRA? Yes. Assuming you're eligible, and in most cases you are, you roll the money over to an IRA, and then you begin making withdrawals from that account 
whenever you're ready to start taking it. If you want it right away, you can start. If you don't need it for a while, you leave it there until you do need it, uh, and you go from there. So in order to find out the answer for sure, we need to do that math. We need to do those calculations to evaluate how much money is your employer offering you, and can you reasonably expect to generate a similar amount of income from an investment strategy you create on your own? As I said, usually the answer is yes, we can do that, but not always, and that's why we need to go through the exercise. We actually have an office in Troy, um, in your neck of the woods, and so happy to sit down with you and go through this in detail, looking at the amount of pension benefit you're being offered, and contrast that to the lump sum they're willing to give you as an alternative to see which strategy is best in your situation. That sounds good. So, yeah, the good news is, like I said, it's largely straight math. It doesn't require uh, too much judgment. We'll show you the spreadsheet analysis and say, here's what you get this way and here's what you get that way. Which number looks better to you? And it'll be pretty self-evident. Yeah, if you sit down and see the growth, uh, especially I'd be taking it 10 years before I'm eligible anyways for the full amount. So there's a lot of room for growth in that money. Yes. Those 10 years. Yes. And so you have to calculate what you would expect is a reasonable rate of return over the next 10 years and what kind of investment strategy is ideal in order to achieve that goal, uh, as opposed to the promised pension that the employer is providing. So the good news is that fact that the employer's promise is a guarantee. The employer is saying, we will give you this money every month for as long as you live, no matter what happens in the market. But on the other hand, many employers, many uh, both, both state as well as private employers, are struggling to honor those promises. There's a huge pension shortfall in this country as many employer pension plans are underfunded. And if the employer proves unable to honor its promises, then you could be discovering that you're either not getting that monthly check or you're getting a lower check than they had originally promised. Millions of Americans are finding themselves in that situation. So you've got to counterbalance the so-called safety and guarantee of their check versus their genuine ability to pay that check as promised for the rest of your life. For all these reasons, Paul, I'd uh, recommend uh, that we sit down and go through this over a couple of hours. What I'll do is put you on hold, and I'll get your uh, phone number, and I'll connect you with my colleagues in our Troy office and uh, sit down and go through the numbers with you and go from there. All right. I really appreciate you giving us a call here on the show today. Thank you, Rick. That's Paul from Troy. If you're facing the pension question, you don't have to go it alone. Do what Paul did. Call a professional financial advisor, not your neighbor, not your friend, not the guy in the cubicle next to you who's as clueless as you. You've never done it before, but we've done it thousands of times, and we can put our benefit of our experience and expertise to your advantage. Just do what Paul did. Call us at 888-PLAN-REC. That's 888-752-6742. You know, I find Paul's uh, question really fascinating and and really timely because LIMRA just came out with a study showing that 52% of workers, you know, so we're talking half of all Americans, say they don't know how to translate their retirement savings into monthly income. It's the very question Paul was asking about. In his case, whether to take a monthly pension or take the money out and turn it into monthly income on his own, half of American workers say they don't know how to do that. Well, I'm not at all surprised that you don't know how to do that because you've never tried to do it before. None of us are any good at doing things we've never done before. So have you given that any thought at all? I know what you have given thought to. You've given a lot of thought 
to putting money into your accounts, contributing to your retirement plan at work, adding to your savings. You've been doing that for 40 years, and you've gotten pretty good at it. And that's why you've got as much money as you've got. But very seldom do people turn that upside down or inside out where they say, okay, I've got this bucket of money. I've got these accumulated savings. How do I turn that into income? And that's an entirely different question because we have to make sure that we're minimizing our taxes as we do it. We need to make sure we're generating enough money to meet our ability to maintain our lifestyle. We have to keep pace with the cost of living because inflation makes everything more expensive over time. And we want to make sure we don't ever run out of money before we die. And not just our death, but that of our spouse as well. And ideally, we're going to have money left over to leave as a legacy and inheritance for our children and grandchildren. This gets pretty complicated. And if you don't know how to do it, if you've never done it before, don't go it alone. Call us at 888-PLAN-RIC and let us help you through that. It's a big decision to make. It's a massive calculation. And you want to make sure you get it right. And that's the expertise and experience that professional financial advisors can provide for you. We're happy to help at 888-PLAN-RIC. That's 888-752-6742. And it's fascinating. You know, financial education, which is really focusing uh, a lot of folks on their retirement, you know what? It begins much earlier than that. And so I'm really excited to remind you that we have, in November, our first children's book being published. Gene and I have written, between the two of us, 10 books. I've done nine of them. Gene's book, The Other Side of Money, is really popular uh, with a lot of our clients as well. And for the first time ever, we're writing a children's book, and it's aimed at three to six-year-olds, being published by Simon & Schuster. It's called The Squirrel Manifesto. You can pre-order it right now on Amazon and Barnes & Noble online and on your favorite booksellers. And it's the first ever book that I'm aware of that is aimed at teaching three-year-old kids to six-year-olds the most important understanding elements about money in our lives. So check out the Squirrel Manifesto, perfect for this holiday, right? And uh, I think you'll really enjoy it. I'm Rick Edelman. You're listening to The Rick Edelman Show, 888-PLAN-RICK, online at ricedelman.com. Let's get the latest from Larry Perel in the KFI Newsroom. Welcome back to The Rick Edelman Show. We invite you to send me an audio from your smartphone of your question, and that's what Kerry did from California. He sent his question to askrick at rickedelman.com. Here it is. Hi, Rick. This is Kerry from San Francisco, and I have a question about California mini bond funds. Over the last several months, uh, this category of funds has experienced declines of between 10 and 15% in their value. And I think much of it is attributable to the increases in interest rates by the Fed. My question is, is it likely that any further increases in interest rates are already built into the value of these funds, uh, in which case they're not likely to suffer any further significant declines in value? Or are they likely to continue to uh, experience declines with the assumption that the interest rates continue to go up? Uh, wondering what your thoughts are on this uh, on this topic. Carrie, thanks for your question. Uh, yes, you can reasonably expect that further increases in interest rates 
will create further declines in the value of bonds. Now, a couple of caveats to this. Number one, yes, the markets do anticipate actions by the government. In other words, if it is clear, if the government has sent messages, which they sometimes do, that they are going to do things, the markets do anticipate that, and they adjust securities prices based on that. In other words, this is called a leading economic indicator, and that's what the financial markets are. They are leading indicators. In other words, they are pricing securities today based on what they think is going to happen, as opposed to a lagging indicator. That occurs when prices are based on what already happened. So the market is a leading indicator, not a lagging indicator. So yes, to some degree, prices are based on what everybody collectively thinks is going to happen. But having said that, we are never really sure truly what is going to happen or when. So while many people believe that the Fed will continue to raise rates, nobody's really sure when the Fed will raise rates next or by how much. And therefore, bond prices are not fully baked in on that answer. So for that reason, you can expect that there will be further declines in the bond market if there are further increases in interest rates. Second, bonds react differently to interest rate increases depending on the maturity date, the duration of the bond. A 30-year bond will have a much bigger decline than a 30-day bond. Does that make sense? The longer the duration, the longer the maturity date, the greater the swing in value due to changes in interest rates. So if you're fearful that there will be more rate increases, then you should probably not own long-term bonds unless you plan to hold them to maturity. If you hold them to maturity, you don't have to worry about it. You'll get your money back at maturity, regardless of what interest rates are doing. But if you're thinking that you might sell your bond prior to maturity, meaning you'll be subject to whatever market prices are being offered at that time, then you would probably want to own shorter-term bonds rather than longer-term bonds. In our case, we tend to recommend three-year, five-year, seven-year maturities rather than 20- and 30-year maturities uh, for that reason. So, yes, you do need to be aware of this. And this is something new and different for investors. Most folks are uncomfortable with, unfamiliar with, unaccustomed to interest rate risk. You know, if we go back for the past 40 years, if we go back to the early 1980s, interest rates have pretty much done nothing but go down. And when rates go down, bond prices go up. So for a generation, many people have grown up in an environment not realizing that rates could go up, not just down. And they haven't been used to the fact that bonds could lose value because for the past, since 1980, bonds have pretty much done nothing but go up in value because when rates go down, bond prices go up. We're now in a different environment, generationally. So a lot of folks are unfamiliar with this, and that's why I'm glad you raised your question because a lot of folks have the very same question. Don't buy a bond unless you plan to hold it to maturity. If you're going to own a bond fund, you should probably own bonds in that fund that are shorter in maturity rather than longer. And to know exactly what kind of bonds are best for you and how much of your money you should be placing into them, you should talk with a financial advisor. And we're happy to help you, 888-PLAN-RICK, to tackle that question for you. Here's another question that we got that's on a lot of people's minds. It comes from Mick. Here it is. Hi, Rick. 
This is Mick from Wolfboro, New Hampshire. I have a question about tariffs. We're hearing a lot about additional tariffs being applied to all kinds of products and the fact that this is likely going to lead to an increase in prices for a number of the products that we consumers purchase. My question is, where does all that tariff money go? Does it go straight into the government coffers? Does this, in essence, become an indirect tax for the people of the U.S.? Thanks for taking my question. Yeah, Mick, uh, the tariffs are getting a lot of attention, and rightfully so. And yes, you are correct. A tariff is essentially a tax. It's a tax targeted on a foreign company that is selling goods and services in the U.S., and it's a way for the government to tell American consumers, don't buy that foreign product, instead buy a domestically manufactured or provided product or service instead. So yeah, tariffs are essentially taxes, and the money essentially does go into the government coffers. Um, It's really that simple. Foreign governments retaliate by doing the same thing. You know, when one government, you know, throws a punch, the other governments throw equal punches, and uh, and there you are. So, yes, the tariffs um, make products and services more expensive, and the money goes into the government and taxes, which is good news, right? We've got a massive uh, deficit, right? The government is spending more money than it's receiving. This helps to solve that problem, but uh, the burden is paid by American consumers who— foot the bill. So, yeah, that's what tariffs are. Tariff is synonym for tax. Revenue generation protocol, right? I mean, they come up with all kinds. You ever notice that you no longer write your taxes at the end of the year to the IRS? They want you to write your check to the United States Treasury. Because nobody wants to write a check to the IRS, but everybody's happy to be patriotic and write a check to the United States Treasury. We don't have a welfare department anymore either. We have a Department of Health and Human Services. We don't have a war department either. We now have a defense department. It's all how you phrase it, isn't it? I think George Orwell was the guy who called us out on that first. Hey, if you're struggling with your challenge in retirement of how do you generate the income you need, in fact, how much money can you generate in the first place? from your savings and investments, we want to give you the answer to that question. We'll do it for free. It's our free retirement review. We'll look at your retirement savings and calculate how much income you can expect in retirement. And we'll give you a document showing these projections of how long your money will last. You'll meet with an experienced colleague of mine here at Edelman Financial, discuss your savings and investments, and share any concerns you've got about your situation and your goals. You can sign up for this free retirement review online. Go to edelmanfinancial.com slash review. There have been- With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thousands of folks who have contacted us for this, you can be one of them as well. Go to EdelmanFinancial.com slash review. I'm Rick Edelman. Stay with us for more here on The Truth About Money. Triple H, Plan Rick. Online at ricestellman.com. It's 
It's hour two of the Rick Edelman Show here on KFI AM 640. Last hour, we talked about the tremendous impact of Hurricane Michael on the East Coast. And what I want to warn you about are scams as a result of these hurricanes. FINRA has just introduced an investor alert. They are warning folks that you might get an email, a text, a phone call. You might see something on social media from outfits that are claiming big investment opportunities resulting from the cleanup after these disasters. You know, we've seen the devastation. Houses torn down, buildings destroyed, massive flooding requiring intensive repair and rehabilitation. And so you get some scam artists who say, hey, we just won a contract from the state of Florida and we're going to make billions of dollars and, hey, invest with us. All of this stuff is nonsense. The most frequent scams are associated with cleanup and rebuilding efforts. They often trumpet breakthroughs in science and technology regarding flood-related issues such as contamination, and it's all just nonsense. If you come upon an investment opportunity related to the hurricanes, throw those opportunity offers away. Don't make any investment decision before talking with a professional. We can help you evaluate the legitimacy of it. We can help you do research into the principles involved to see if maybe they've got black marks on their licensing or what have you. So if you come upon an opportunity that looks too good to be true or something that looks appealing, call us before you act. Call us at 888-PLAN-REC. That's 888-752-6742. Let us evaluate it with you. And maybe, just maybe, we'll be able to help you steer yourself away from something that uh, is something you want to stay away from. By the way, this is not the only kind of scam that's out in the marketplace these days. The SEC has just charged a group of Internet marketers for allegedly creating and disseminating rags-to-riches videos to trick retirees into opening brokerage accounts and trading high-risk securities. I'm going to give you two words here, short little phrase, and I want you to tell me if you've ever heard of this. Binary options. Have you heard of this? This is a scam that came out about three or four years ago. I haven't heard about it since, but the SEC has just nailed a group of marketers pitching the same thing. They say that investors have been conned out of tens of millions of dollars. Ten individuals have been charged in this fraudulent marketing campaign, and you need to be aware of this. Um, So if you hear anybody touting binary options, run, don't walk to the nearest exit. Also, have you invested in universal life insurance? This was a a product that was very popular back in the 1980s and 1990s. It was uh, supposedly a way for you to obtain life insurance at a much lower cost than traditional whole life insurance. And uh, the people who bought these policies back in the 80s and 90s, well, remember where interest rates were back then? interest rates were much higher. And the insurance companies were assuming that they were going to continue to earn those high interest rates. And that's why they were able to charge very low costs for the policies. Well, guess what? Those high interest rates have come down. The policy costs have gone up. And the people who bought those policies back in the 80s and 90s, well, they're now in retirement. They're now in their 70s and 80s and 90s. And they are getting notices that the cost of their insurance is rising to the point 
where people can't afford the policies anymore. So just about the time they're getting nearer to their date of death, they have to cancel the policies because they can't afford them anymore. And all the money they've spent through all of these decades is, you know, poof, it's gone. So if you own a universal life insurance policy, different from whole life, different from term life, if you own a universal life insurance policy and you are struggling to figure out what to do with it, can you afford to keep it? What alternatives might you have available to you? Give us a call. We may very well be able to help you with that. So call us at 888-PLAN-RICK if you have a universal life insurance contract and you're struggling about what to do with it. You know, there's other news in the uh, world of fraud. AARP just came out with a, uh, an amazing survey result. You know, you have an online account, right? You have more than one. you got a bunch of them. So just pick your most frequent online account. Put that in your head for a minute. All right? You know what account you have online that you use more than anything else. And you have a password, don't you, on that account. Do you use that same password on more than one account? According to AARP's research, half of all Americans do. Half of us have the same password across multiple online accounts. That's dangerous because if a crook gets a hold of one, they can therefore use it to open lots of others of your accounts. Half of Americans have found fraudulent charges on their credit or debit card, but only 14% have ordered a credit freeze on their credit report. So if you haven't frozen your credit report, you can now do it for free. As of last month, the federal government says it's now free for you to freeze your credit report. So you need to take a look at this. Also, keep in mind that using a debit card does not protect you from fraud, the same way as a credit card does. You know, if you, let's say you use a credit card and you get ripped off. Someone steals your card, uh, someone makes a fraudulent purchase, or you use your card yourself, but the vendor doesn't deliver the goods, right? And you just, you know, you, you just charged hundreds or even thousands of dollars and you got nothing to show for it. Under federal law, you're only liable for the first 50 bucks. As long as you notify the vendor and the credit card company right away, like I think it's within 48 hours, your liability is only $50. But that's not true if you use a debit card. If you use a debit card, you own the total liability for a fraudulent charge. So you need to be aware of this fact. So I'm going to give you three simple steps. Number one, put a freeze on your credit report. Number two, set up online access for all of your financial accounts. Why? Because if you don't set up online access for your accounts, a crook might do it in your place. So you need to do it first. And three, I know it's a nuisance, I know it's a pain, but create a separate password for each of your accounts. If you'll engage in it in this way, you will do a lot to reducing the risk that your accounts will get hacked. And you know what else is uh, happening in the world of Wall Street? Annuity sales are growing, especially among wirehouses and independent broker-dealers. It's interesting that annuity sales have been dropping for the past couple of years. Why suddenly are indexed annuity sales rising? You know why? Because the Department of Labor's rule that was prohibiting these products went away. The courts overturned the Department of Labor's rule regarding the fiduciary standard that required Wall Street to act in the best interests of their clients. That rule went away. And while the rule was about to be implemented, there was a reduction in the sale of the indexed annuity products. But now, suddenly, with the rule gone, 
you know, with the guard no longer guarding the hen house, the fox is moving back on in. Independent broker-dealers have sold $2.6 billion worth of indexed annuities in just the second quarter of this year. Overall, annuity sales are up 18% from a year ago because the rule doesn't exist. Meanwhile, the SEC is creating its own best interests rule to replace the Department of Labor's rule that the courts threw away. But an organization called the Plain Language Group says the SEC's proposed rule is written at the 14th grade level. The average adult reads at the 8th grade level. They say that there's a problem with the way the information is laid out. Costs and fees don't appear until the second page. Bullets on the left side of a page don't have the same type of information as bullets on the right side of the page. There's a lot of industry jargon. In other words, the SEC's proposal could probably use some improvement. So you got to watch out. Is an organization that you're dealing with acting in your best interests? And are they doing so because it's the right thing to do? Or are they doing so only because a regulator says they got to? Merrill Lynch, which originally said they would conform to the fiduciary standard, has reintroduced commissions into retirement accounts. So has Commonwealth Financial and J.P. Morgan. They originally said they would ban commissions in retirement accounts. They now have changed their mind. Why? Because the rule went away. You want to make sure your financial advisor is looking out for you. And if you're not sure, give us a call. 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-752-6742. We're happy to serve as your fiduciary, looking out for your best interests. It's the way we'd want to be treated, and it's the way we think you ought to be treated, too. You can visit us online as well. Just go to rickedelman.com. That's ricedelman.com. And if you want to talk to us, click that red button, schedule a call. And uh, all you got to do is tell us the day and time you want us to call you. No voicemail, no phone tag. We'll make it simple and easy for you to reach us so that we can get you the answers you need to all your personal finance questions. It's 888-PLAN-RICK or online at rickedelman.com. Stay with us for more when we come back here on The Rick Edelman Show. And we're going to talk about something pretty fascinating. Do nice guys finish last? They do, and I'm going to tell you why. So stay with us for more on The Rick Edelman Show. Let's get the latest from Larry Perel on the KFI Newsroom. Welcome back to the Rick Edelman Show. And I told you in the last segment I'd answer the question, do nice people finish last? Oh, my goodness. Apparently they do. According to a study in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. Yeah, there's apparently a journal called the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. They've uh, just done research based on data from 3 million participants over a 25-year period, and they discovered that nice people are at greater risk of bankruptcy than people who aren't nice. Go figure. And the reason isn't necessarily because people are nice. It's because nice people, according to the study, don't value money as much as people who are mean. Agreeableness was associated with financial hardship, lower savings, higher debt, and higher default rates on loans. So being a nice guy means you're probably, in an effort to be nice, or just because you're nice, you tend not to care as much about money, and therefore you're at higher risk of money mismanagement, according to the study. Their data included following individuals over 25 years, and they discovered that when they measured agreeableness in childhood, 
it predicted greater financial hardship later in life. So, mom and dad, look at your five-year-olds. Are they nice or are they not nice? Because if they're nice, uh-oh. I don't. I don't even know what the advice is I would give on this. Are we gonna? We're we supposed to teach our children not to be nice. I. I don't think so. But maybe, maybe, maybe what we should be simply doing is saying, "Look, we know you're a nice person. That's fabulous. That's wonderful. But recognize that that could cause you, by your nature, to make decisions that aren't helpful to you when it comes to your money management. You might be willing to loan money to a friend." and not care if they pay you back because you're nice. Don't do that. You might be willing to buy a bigger house than you can afford because it's, the, it's nice, it's the fun thing to do. And later you will discover that you struggle to repay that loan and your default rate will rise. So don't do that. Maybe you'll spend money that you shouldn't be spending on credit cards, what have you, leading to defaults on loans or ultimately bankruptcy. Maybe counsel our kids that being nice is a handicap to effective money management, as opposed to telling our nice kids to, you know, not, not be so nice. If there's anything this world needs, it's more nice people, right? Yeesh. Hey, it all comes down to financial wellness. And here's good news. Financial wellness programs in the workplace are on the rise. 91% of employers, pretty much all of them, say that they are likely to expand their programs over the next year or two in financial wellness. And it's a really good thing because 33% of workers, one out of three, say that their level of debt is ruining their quality of life. Would you say that? Is your level of debt ruining your quality of life? The average debt is $28,000, and one out of three workers say that they're suffering with this. One out of three workers say that they worry about their money several times a day at work. 47% say they spend more than an hour of their work time dealing on their personal finances. In other words, they're basically ripping off their boss. Instead of doing their jobs, they're handling their personal finances. Half of American workers say that they're doing this, spending an hour or more at work per month on their personal finances. 43% say they would be more productive at work if they weren't so worried about their personal finances. And in fact, this raises increased costs of absenteeism, people missing work because they're dealing with money issues, or a relatively new phrase you might not be familiar with, not just absenteeism, but presenteeism. What's that? It means you are at work, you showed up, you're present, but that's about it. You're not doing any work. Presenteeism is as costly to an employer as absenteeism. According to this research, $2,100 per year per employee is what absenteeism and presenteeism costs your employer. And if the employer is spending $2,100 a year per employee on these costs, that's $2,100 a year they can't give you in pay and benefits because they have to spend the money elsewhere. And here's the worst part. 41% say their stress level related to money has increased over the last 12 months. Has yours? I mean, we've got a stock market that's been rising, an economy that's been growing, unemployment that's been falling, wage growth that's been rising. And yet, 4 out of 10 Americans say their stress level is up compared to a year ago. So if yours is up, if your financial stress level is up, One, good news, your employer is probably aware of it and working on doing something about it to help you. 
because if it helps you, it helps them, right? You're less likely to quit your job. You're less likely to underperform at work. It helps your employer for you to be in financially good shape. Number two, do something about it. If what you've been doing ain't working, don't keep doing it. Change your habits. Adapt a different style or a behavior that is more productive than negative. And if you're struggling on how to do that, to figure out what the changes ought to be and how to implement them, call us. Call us at 888-PLAN-RIC. I'm willing to bet that you've got resources, either money or time, that you're not taking best advantage of. And with a couple of tweaks with how you're saving money, with the level of participation in your retirement plan at work, decisions you're making on expenses such as how much you spend on insurance, or strategies that could lower your taxes, or alternative ways to manage your mortgage, we can probably show you how to free up some money that you can use to increase your savings for your future, which would, in an extension, help lower your financial stress. Call us at 888-PLAN-RIC. You might be feeling that uh, you don't know which way to go or how to handle this or what to do. Well, chances are we can help because we've been doing this for 32 years for tens of thousands of folks just like you all across the country. And we invite you to take advantage of our expertise and experience and put it to the work for you. 888-PLAN-RIC. You can call us at 888-752-6742 or visit us online at ricestellman.com. So related to your uh, career and the workplace, I want to ask you a question. At work, do you feel like a fake? If you do, you're not alone. It's called imposter syndrome. It was first defined in 1978 by a couple of psychologists. And in a recent survey of employees at Facebook, Amazon, Apple, and Microsoft, nearly 60% of employees say they feel like frauds. The study showed that highly successful people, despite their degrees, their scholastic honors, their high scores on standardized tests, their professional recognition from colleagues and respected authorities, 60% of them consider themselves to be imposters. In 2011, the International Journal of Behavioral Science found that 70% of American workers experience imposter syndrome at some point in their lives. I'm here to tell you, you don't need to feel that way. Your boss hired you because of your ability to do the job. You are performing. You do have the ability to do this. You don't need at all to feel like a fake. If it's holding you back, I encourage you to talk with someone who might be able to address this issue. It's a key psychological misfiring that is affecting an awful lot of American workers and maybe could be holding you back in your career without you realizing it. Imposter syndrome. Who would have thought? I'm Rick Edelman. You're listening to The Truth About Money, 888-PLAN-RICK, online at ricestellman.com. Let's get the latest from Larry Perel in the KFI Newsroom. You're listening to The Rick Edelman Show. We talk a lot here on the program about the coming Social Security crisis and the importance that we get Congress to take action now. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Help us further this conversation. I'm very excited to bring onto the program Alicia Manel. She's the Peter F. Drucker Professor of Management Sciences at Boston College's Carroll School of Management. And more to my heart, she's the director of the Boston College Center for Retirement Research. That might not sound like a big deal to you, but in our circles in the financial planning world, the Boston College Center for Retirement Research produces some of the most important data uh, useful in the financial planning world. So, Alicia, I'm really excited to have you with us on the program today. Oh, I'm delighted to be here, Rick, and I like your endorsement. Uh, Alicia is uh, a former member of the President's Council of Economic Advisors. She was former Assistant Secretary of the Treasury for Economic Policy. Um, So how is the retirement outlook these days for today's workers? It's not good, Rick. Um, We calculated an index that shows about 50% of today's working households are not going to be able to maintain their standard of living once they stop working. Well, that's not very exciting. And and is this situation been this way for a long time, or has the landscape changed in recent decades? Um, The landscape has changed a lot in recent decades, and it has gotten uh, particularly uh, worse since the financial crisis. You mean since 2008? Why? Since 2008. Why? People lost a lot of money in 2008 and a lot of house values, and those items haven't totally returned. Well, wait a minute. Hang on. I mean, if you sat through 2008 and took no action, I mean, the stock market back then was at 14000 before the crisis. Uh, today, the Dow's pushing 25000 Housing prices back in 07 weren't as high as they are today in major markets. So shouldn't people actually be better off today now that we've had an extra 10 years of savings on top of it? And yet you're saying that's not really true in a lot of cases. So let's start with the stock market. The people who hold stocks are the people in the high-income groups. So you look at the top third, and yes, they have equity holdings, and they have um, their stock values have gained uh, in their stocks have gained in value. Um, but for the bottom two thirds of households, they really don't hold very much in stocks. And I think the housing uh, story is yes, we're almost back to where it was. Our, our most recent data is for 2016, and it hadn't quite gotten back to the. Uh, peak of the bubble uh, by 2016, but the house values are really high on the coasts, as you know, in Boston, New York, and California, and and not so high in between, and not even high in all parts of California. And this is, I think, the point that a lot of folks really don't fully comprehend, And, and we see this every day in our financial planning practice, that Although it's true that people who own stocks in 07, had they held through today, they'd be a lot better off. The first fact, as you point out, is most people didn't own stocks at all. Second, those many of those who did hold stocks in 07 panicked in 09, sold at the low or near it. And so they're kind of frozen in time. Their account values are pretty much where they were, even though we're 10 years later. They haven't enjoyed the run-up in value because they didn't hold on to their investments. They haven't continued to add to their investments. And so they are still stuck where they were 10 years ago. That That's right. And, and a lot of people lost their jobs between uh, 2000. 
seven in 2009 and had to turn to their 401k and other retirement holdings to make ends meet during that period. So even if they hadn't panicked, events just demanded that, exactly. that they withdraw the money, let alone marriage issues, medical issues, other family issues. They just didn't have the luxury of holding on to their investments. So that means people are now in a conundrum because here we are 10 years later, everyone's 10 years older, retirement is 10 years closer, and they might not have the retirement savings account values today that they had hoped they would have by now. That's forcing people to work longer. But is that as viable uh, an answer as you might hope? So I'm a great fan of people working longer. I think it's the most powerful lever that people can control and it has a huge impact on their well-being uh, in retirement. So we've got the issue that people, in order to improve their situation and generate income for themselves that they won't outlive, is one, keep working longer. The longer you work, the more money you're adding to your investments, the more that those investments can grow in value. And let's face it, the longer you work, the shorter your retirement will be, and that means the less money you ultimately need to accumulate. So it's a double benefit uh, by working longer. If you would take your Social Security benefit at 70 instead of 62, it's 76% higher. And so your lifetime benefits will be the same, but your monthly benefit will be um, that 76 additional percent. So work longer so that you are saving more, your investments can grow more in value, you're ultimately going to get a higher monthly Social Security benefit, and all that money isn't going to have to last as long as it otherwise might have. Exactly right. That leads us to only one other asset that's left that a lot of people, I think, ignore, and that's the equity in their homes. Is that a potential resource for retirees? Oh, I'm so, just, I, I love the house almost as much as I love working longer. Um, you're right. For many people, their house is their largest asset outside of the wealth that they have from, in their Social Security um, benefits. And uh, tapping home equity, I think, is actually going to be part of the answer going forward. Uh, the difficulty here is the mechanisms. There, there are basically three ways to do it. One, you can sell your house and go buy a cheaper house. And it has to be a cheaper house, not a smaller house, because a lot of people sell their house in the suburbs, move to the city, and it costs just as much, if not mm, more. Right. And so it has to be a cheaper house. That's one way to go. The other is a reverse mortgage, but they're so complicated to many people. You need to have counseling before you get one. Um, and so somehow we have to make them simpler and better. The alternative, a third way is in Massachusetts, we're talking about property tax deferral. And so that would be a program whereby people 65 and over could defer their property taxes for um, the period until they sell the house or die. And then those property taxes would be repaid with interest at that time. You don't get as much out of that approach as you could get in terms of freed up um, money as you would uh, from a reverse mortgage, but it could be a much simpler um, program. So the whole concept is that by not having to pay your property taxes annually, that reduces your expenses and it frees up the cash that you can use for other elements of your lifestyle. That's right. In Massachusetts, property taxes, we have, high, this is a high property tax state. So for the average household, it's about $4,000 a year, but wow. not having to fork out that $4,000 can make a, a 
big difference. Yeah. So it's a demonstration that there's no shortage of great ideas and strategies for people that they just need to learn what these are. Most folks are financially illiterate, as you well know, and so they don't know what they don't know. And why I'm a big fan, of course, being a financial advisor, that people turn to a financial advisor for help in dealing with these kinds of issues. Uh, And why it's so important for policymakers to pay attention to the environment going on right now because we're facing big problems with Social Security and the trust fund being depleted over the next decade or two and why it's important for Congress to act right now. What message would you give to Congress, should they be listening to this program, about the current situation and the need for them to act? So I think it's a three-stage um, program. One, we, as you said, we should fix Social Security. This is the backbone of the retirement system uh, to make people scared that they're not going to have any retirement benefits because the trust fund is exhausted is just cause unnecessary angst. The second thing we should do is make 401k plans, which is what most people have, work as well as possible. We, my view would be that any 401k plan would have to have automatic provisions so that you'd be automatically enrolled in the program, um, that you're, the default contribution rate for automatic enrollees would be set at a reasonable level, let's say 6%, and then automatically increased each um, year up to, let's say, 10%. Um, I think that we need some kind of uh, way to transform that uh, pile of money into an income stream, starts, let's say, at providing income at, let's say, 85. If you take a snapshot of the workforce at any moment in time, half the workers don't get any type of retirement plan coverage at work. And so we have this huge coverage gap, and that needs to be fixed. Um, the proposals have made, been made at the federal level to have sort of an auto IRA program. That is, if your employer doesn't provide a retirement plan, they'd have to automatically enroll you in an IRA. Um, the federal government hasn't acted on that, and so the states have really taken the lead in setting up these auto IRA programs. So we need um, to fix Social Security, make 401Ks work as well as possible, address the coverage gap, and then really try to educate people on the importance of considering their house as part of a retirement asset. Well, I hope members of the Congress are listening to the program right now, and maybe we'll send them an audio clip and perhaps a transcript so uh beat them up over the heads until they take action because the clock's ticking, the population's aging, and the uh, situation's getting worse as we go. So that's Alicia Manel, who is the director of the Boston College Center for Retirement Research. Thank you, Alicia, so much for joining us on the program today. Oh, my pleasure. So we invite you to get involved. Learn more about FundingOurFuture.us by visiting the website. There it is right there, FundingOurFuture.us. You'll discover our goals of helping it become easier for Americans to save, help you provide income that you can't outlive, and help save our Social Security system. Learn what we're doing and how you can help at FundingOurFuture.us. You're listening to The Rick Edelman Show, Triple H Plan Rick, online at ricedelman.com. Let's get the latest from Larry Perel in the KFI Newsroom. Welcome back to The Rick Edelman Show. When's the last time you went into a supermarket? Oh, like yesterday, maybe today. Certainly probably going to go tomorrow. 
Uh, I mean, it's one of the things that I think a lot of <laughs> we all have in common is going to the supermarket. And we all have pretty much the same experiences in that supermarket. We wait in a pretty long line uh, to go through the checkout, and we're always looking, you know, if we go into that 10 items or fewer line, I guarantee you're counting the number of items the guy in front of you has, right? Because if he's got 11, you're annoyed. Well, guess what's coming? The cashierless store in San Francisco, the first one has now opened. It's called Standard Market. It is the first completely automated cashierless store. You download an app, and after you've done that, you go in, you grab what you want, and you leave. That's it. Nothing else to do. Cameras using facial recognition identify you and what you bought. This new startup has raised over $11 million in venture capital. They have formed partnerships with four retail chains. Their goal is to add their technology to 100 stores a day. A day. 100 stores a day by 2020. Oh, by the way, five of the seven founders of this thing came from the SEC, where they built AI software used to detect fraud and trade violations. They're now using their expertise to help see if you're going to steal from the store. So, wow, pretty interesting uh, illustration of the technological changes that are coming to society. I talk about them a lot in my book, The Truth About Your Future. That's what it's all about, exponential technologies and how they're impacting every aspect of our daily lives. Here's some of the latest and greatest announcements that have recently come out in the field of quantum computing. This is the entire next generation of computing. Google, Microsoft, Intel, and IBM, they're all investing in this. There are over 70 prototypes already. The U.S. House of Representatives just passed a bill, the National Quantum Initiative Act, to accelerate education, research, and development. They say that the quantum computing can lead to new pathways that will cure cancer, explore the universe, develop unimagined new materials, and solve complexities of our own human biological systems. It's really kind of amazing when you think about what's coming next. You know what's already here? AI to help catch criminals. In China, police in the Zinshu East Railway Station have caught seven fugitives who were connected with major criminal cases. They have found 26 other people using fake IDs. You know how they did it? They're wearing special eyeglasses that have AI built in that give them facial recognition. So just by looking at people in the crowd, they're able to identify if you're really you or not. You know, we just talked about a new supermarket where there are no cashiers. There's a coffee shop near Brown University where students are the customers and they get free coffee. No cash is accepted. The university students, however, in order to get the coffee for free, have to provide their name, phone number, email address, and their major. And they also have to provide their date of birth and their professional interests. And the coffee shop collects the data and sells it to corporate sponsors, who will then reach out to these students through logos and apps and digital ads and screens in the stores and on mobile devices. And, and other, Are you willing to give away your personal data in exchange for free stuff? That's the premise of this coffee shop, and it's raising a lot of eyebrows among those in the privacy war. Meanwhile, in the field of medicine, a Chicago startup has now 3D printed a human cardiac patch. It's a major milestone leading to bioprinting fully functioning organs. 
You take a patient's own blood cells, you reprogram them into stem cells, you make the stem cells into a 3D bioengineering, the human heart becomes viable for transplantation. It's the first time a cardiac patch was bioprinted 3D with multiple cell types that the human heart is made of. Meanwhile, researchers at the University of Oxford's Department of Clinical Neurosciences has created the first robotic system that operates on a human eye, a robot doing surgery on your eye. They insert the robot into the pupil via an incision less than one millimeter in size. The surgeon then operates the robot via a joystick. It eliminates the worry that the surgeon's hands might shake or accidentally move or whatever. The robot has already been used to conduct two routine procedures, removing a membrane from the retina and dissolving hemorrhages under a retina, and in both cases, the results were better than what human doctors could do. At Johns Hopkins, scientists have developed an electronic skin that can fit over a prosthetic hand. It allows the user to feel sensation, including pain, through a prosthetic skin. Pretty amazing. The FDA has now approved of an AI system that will assess whether a patient has a disease that might lead to a vision loss. It's 87% accurate, and it's the first screening device that doesn't need a human clinician to interpret the image a robot system doing it all by itself. There's an optometrist who's invented a bionic contact lens that lets people see three times better than 2020. How would you like to have binoculars in your eyes or being able to look as if you're using a microscope? That's what has already been created with a bionic contact lens. These kinds of innovations and more are going to radically improve quality of life for pretty much everybody on the planet once they reach mainstream production. Some other uh, fascinating changes going on in the field of exponential technologies. At MIT, they've created a wearable interface that knows what you're thinking without you having to say anything out loud. It's a white plastic strip. It hooks over your ear, goes below your jaw. The electrodes pick up the neuromuscular signals that are released when you think of a certain word, sort of like saying it in your head. And it's accurate 92% of the time. So people wearing this device, say they're paralyzed and can't speak, or say they don't have a voice box, say they have some kind of physical disability, just by thinking they're able to communicate. It's amazing what's going on in the field of medicine, but it's not just the field of medicine where we're seeing some pretty amazing innovations. In the field of robotics, scientists of MIT have made a robot that can teach itself to see and identify objects and how to manipulate them as well. No robot's been able to do this before. This robot is capable of picking up an object it's never seen before. And without resorting to trial and error, it knows what to do with the object. That's how humans do it. You pick up an object you've never seen before, and you know how to pick it up without breaking it. You know how to turn it so that you can examine it. This robot's able to do the very same thing. This is just a few of the illustrations of what's going on in the field of exponential technologies and how they're going to radically improve and alter every aspect of life that you can think about. And that's why we encourage you to go to our YouTube channel, Go to youtube.com slash Edelman Financial and you'll see the 21 videos that I've recorded that teach you what's going on in the field of exponential technologies. 21 chapters. We've had hundreds of thousands of people watch these videos. We've had almost 400,000 people watch chapter 15 on college planning. 
186,000 on safety and security. 175,000 have seen the video on estate planning. You know how many have watched my investment strategy chapter? 597. No, 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 not, not 597,000, 597. Only 600 people have watched it. You know why? We just put it up there. It's brand new. Now's your chance to go see how you need to alter your investment strategy so that you have a portfolio of the future and not one simply based on the past. So we invite you to go to YouTube, the Edelman Financial Channel, to get the information on the truth about your future. You can also buy your copy of my New York Times business bestseller, The Truth About Your Future, available at your favorite bookseller. I'm Rick Edelman. Had a pleasure being with you here today on the program. Remember, if you love the show, tell a friend. If you hate the show, tell an enemy. I'll see you next week. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.